Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Jamie Bianchini needed a lift, a big one, after a series of spectacular business flops drove him into bankruptcy and the love of his life kissed him goodbye. Bianchini knew he needed a world of help, but instead of seeking assistance from a counselor support group, he sought comfort where he'd always found it, on his bicycle. As his world hit rock bottom, Bianchini hatched a crazy plan that just might make everything right. His life lacked purpose, passion, and a connection to his fellow man, so he decided to go for a bicycle ride around the world on a tandem, solo, inviting everyone he met to join him for a spin. His memoir, A Bicycle Built for Two Billion, is the story of an audacious optimist who tried to change the world while hoping the world would change him one rider at a time. Jamie Bianchini is on a family uh, book tour and is in Utah at this point. And joins us for the program today, Jamie Bianchini, a pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thank you. It's great to be here. So are you still in Utah? I am. Uh, I see in the itinerary Provo area. It's where kind of the base yeah. camp. Uh, so tell me about this family tour. You're, you're going around uh, around the country. Yep. Uh, it is, uh, uh, Utah here is the 26th stop of a 38-state, uh, six-month 20,000 mile adventure uh, around the country with my two and four year old uh, children and my wife. Uh, we've been living in an RV uh, the whole time and we've been given uh, free uh, slideshows all around the country, kind of sharing the very best photos, uh, music, videos, and of course the stories from this, uh, from this very big eight year, 81 country trip around the world on a tandem bicycle, inviting strangers to hop on the back seat and become friends. So uh, on this tour, you can, I guess if you if you encounter you and your family, you can, I could hop on your bike there and, and join part of the journey. Sure. I mean, uh, we bring the bike to the talks. Uh, we're, you know, in between the stops, we're traveling by RV right now. So we've got a car, an RV, and a bunch of bikes on top of the roofs and strapped on in various ways. Uh, we've got about, probably about a dozen different kinds of wheeled vehicles, but uh, we're not touring between states, but, we, but we've given a bunch of rides uh, on the tandems. And uh, yeah, so I, at the events, we always have the tandems there. Hmm. How's it gone so far? You, you said you've got uh, several states. Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, we started in the whole uh, southern section of the of, of the country, starting you know, all the way down from San Diego over to Florida, and then up to the Carolinas, and up to Maine, and then down the East Coast. And now we've zigzagged our way back uh, through Colorado, and uh, now Utah, and then we're heading to uh, Montana tomorrow, actually, to celebrate my son's mm-hmm. fifth birthday. Oh, wonderful! And you uh, you just barely missed the uh, tour of Utah, the big bike race. Yeah, I did hear about that. I heard about the crash, too. Someone brought yeah, that to my attention. Yes. Kind of scary. Yes. You had a scary crash. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I wonder if we could take you back to the opening of your memoir. Um, you, as you say in the book, you're, you told people your family was the Brady Bunch. <laughs> but, it was, mm. but that was far from far from the truth, right? And, and you, you, found, you found solace and relief on your bike. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, everyone's got their their challenges in their in their childhood some more than others um and uh, i grew up in a pretty pretty turbulent uh time from probably the age of four to ten uh that was uh just a lot of alcohol abuse a lot of you know we had a divorce we had a a big family where my mom was divorced and came together with another another uh another guy who had three kids so it was kind of like the brady bunch uh in the sense that we you know we brought two two families of three together and now there were six and then another one was born and they, they created another one and we all crammed ourselves into a two-bedroom house 
and there was uh, just a lot of disharmony, and there was abuse, physical, mental uh, abuse that went on. So it was a tough time, and uh, I, I rode my bike a lot during that time, because the bike became uh, kind of my escape out of all that chaos and uh, where I found peace and silence and relaxation, uh, you know, I, I, as a kid. Um, so that's, that, that was one of the things that I think as I got older and had a, hit another hard time uh, as I uh, graduated college and tried to f- find my feet and, and uh, find out who I was as a person, as, a, as an adult, uh, when I had some challenging times, it seemed like the bike was where I needed to kind of turn to. Uh, to kind of figure things out and end up uh, end up turning into something a lot bigger than I ever planned. So why why bicycle? I guess in childhood, a lot of us really were attached to our bikes. That's our mobility, I suppose. Freedom. What's what? I guess what, what was the attraction in childhood? Uh, I you know it's just it was just something that happened right during the divorce. I learned how to ride my my, my bike exactly the same time that uh, that the divorce happened. Uh, with my parents, and I was confused. I was four years old, five years old, and I didn't really know what was happening. I just knew that the bike was a place that that I felt comfortable. Uh, that's all I remember, really. It was at that age. Uh, and but going on into into all the years, I just remember getting on the bike, and I always felt better on the bike, and I always felt better getting off the bike. Uh, if there was something that was complicated and stressful, I would always get, feel better on the bike, uh, and it would clear things up. And I don't know what the magic is with the bike. Uh, but there's something about it, uh, and I'm sure the cycling community here in Utah would uh, would probably agree. Uh, so, so yeah, and uh, so getting out on the world, you know, and, and getting this inspiration to get back on the bike and connect with my world and find my purpose and find my passion and connect with my passion of cycling and uh, was uh, you know kind of where 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 the the book takes people uh, on a really personal journey, but also uh, you know a personal journey with the backdrop of planet Earth and all of its amazing people through 81 countries. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's an amazing journey. 81 countries, eight years. So tell me about the the starting point. This was a low point for you. Yeah, I I, I went bankrupt uh, financially. I was I was a very stubborn entrepreneur with a pretty big ego in my in my twenties. And uh, graduated college at the top of my class in entrepreneurship from a really good business school. So I thought I, you know, the world was just mine to go and do what I wanted and go out there and, and stake my claim, so to speak. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I was getting involved in business ventures that I had no interest in and didn't really care about uh, and was really reckless and, and kind of in the fast lane, going fast as I could to try to make money as fast as I could improve myself and uh, unfortunately, that ended up coming to bite me, uh, and ended up uh, going bankrupt. And the woman I thought I was going to be marrying uh, uh, left me, and it just and I just things just kind of went downhill from there. So it was probably the lowest part of my life uh, that I've that I've ever had. But uh, sometimes that those low points are are are, are the biggest blessings, and mm-hmm. it ended up being a blessing because that's when I just made a decision to live from my heart, live from my passions at any cost. And and do what I truly loved, and find a way to exchange value with the world, uh, doing what I truly loved, and that's what led to the inspiration to go around the world and uh, take a tandem bicycle, and to um, and to create an organization called Peace Peddlers, uh, in, in an effort to create a little bit more peace in the world and be of service to my fellow man out on the bike. Yeah, that is, that is a blessing to find your passion and to be able to do it. What uh, what, what was that process like? You uh, had you always had this dream to travel the world? Yeah, since I was a young boy, I was I was really always curious and uh, had an opportunity to, to to do a little bit of traveling uh, when I was a little younger. So I always had a dream to travel the world. It was like this dream I had 
that was very elusive and and uh and i got as i got older it got further and further away from actually happening and then uh you know i thought well if i could just ride and go and travel and ride that would be the ideal thing my two passions were cycling and travel so i blended those two things together uh, and then i put the idea of peace peddlers trying to make a contribution in the world i didn't know what it was going to be i just created peace peddlers and made a logo and a website and said i was going to try to create more peace in the world one one rider at a time without really knowing what I was going to how it was going to manifest itself, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it ended up manifesting itself in in the project of the project of, of Peace Brothers with the tandem bike and inviting strangers on the back seat, which attra- ended up attracting 40 corporate sponsors, mm-hmm. uh, and then from there um, was it where we were able to uh, save save a bunch of money just being really frugal and working multiple jobs and multiple businesses and. You know, staying away from sushi, sushi meals, and mm-hmm. frappuccinos, mm-hmm. and everything that ate our money away, and, mm-hmm. and uh, was able to save money. So that's <laughs> that's I don't know that's that's admirable. You, you create a logo. You have this kind of vague idea. Uh, I, maybe it's a little naive as well, but you you went for it. You, you had this idea, and, and then it took form as you went along. Yeah, and that's you know, that was a leap of faith. You know, I didn't know how. I was completely broke. I went bankrupt, so I had zero dollars and zero cents in my bank account after the bankruptcy. And and then declaring out to friends, family, and everybody that I was going to be leaving in two and a half years on a trip around the world. Uh, somehow, some way, I was going to pull it off. It was a bit of leap of faith, leap of faith because I had no idea how I was going to do it. Um, how I was going to get the bikes and the gear and and all the equipment and the planning and transportation and and obviously saving all the money uh was i was uh you just have to i just had to declare it so i you know i set a goal of exactly how much money i wanted to save i set a date exactly when i wanted to leave and i think that was one of the things that uh that really helped us being really clear on that and to kind of declaring that was the way it's going to be and when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen and then uh everything else revealed itself from there so then, uh, as this started to take shape, um, what was the specific plan? How did you uh, come upon? I'm going to do a tandem bike. I'm going to invite strangers to to go with me, and we're going to we're going to do more than just biking. Yeah, I mean, it was it, there, there was a vague intention to be of service because um, both myself and my best friend, who he decided to start it with me, so it was me and my best friend Garrick. We ended up getting two tandems built. And there was a vague just desire to be of service to mankind. And we didn't really know what that was going to look like. Creating peace peddlers was one of the things of just having the way that we rode, which was random acts of kindness on a day-to-day basis, um, being being peaceful people, inviting strangers to come and share our, our passion for cycling. Uh, we would we would offer to, to, to buy them lunch. We would offer to pay to uh, pay their lodging if they came overnight with us. And we would offer to pay their bus ticket back to their village at the end of their trip, whether it was through the end of town or all the way through their country, we would, that was our gift and our random acts of kindness. That was a really small random gift that we gave on a day-to-day basis, but we were always looking for ways, you know, and any inspirations that came. And the, 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 the trip started to evolve because what ends up happening when you travel on a bicycle, you're, you're very vulnerable, right? So we had situations where we couldn't find lodging, and we had guests with us who, didn't, who were ill-prepared to camp in cold weather up in the Himalayas. And we had uh, situations where we were sick and lost and hungry and scared. And people who were total strangers came and took care of us all throughout the first section of our ride. And what we realized, or at least what I realized, was that, you know, people were people were taking care of me everywhere I went. And there was compassion and love and generosity 
everywhere I went. And so as I began to travel, I looked for ways that I could give back in the communities that were embracing me and taking care of me. So that led to a bunch of new projects that were not planned and weren't really part of the original scope of the of the expedition around the world. But just by, you know, giving back to the people that gave to me, we were able to to, to do a lot more. If you just joined us, I'm talking with Jamie Bianchini. His book is A Bicycle Built for Two Billion. It's a memoir. Uh, at a low point in his life, he decided to take a trip around the world on a tandem bicycle and uh, give complete strangers a lift. That was uh, part of the plan. He, he had this idea to spread peace around the world, and uh, he ended up finding himself out there. And uh, now he's on a, uh, a book tour on a bicycle and RV uh, with his uh, family, his wife and uh, two children. They're in Utah right now and uh, recently gave a presentation at the King's English Bookshop in uh, Salt Lake City. And then they're off around the country to continue this book tour. We'll continue this uh, very interesting story following a break, including uh, a bike theft in China, near-death bike crash in Malaysia, escaping machine gunfire in Mauritania. But he says everywhere he went, there was someone there to help. We'll have more following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, proudly celebrating its 40th anniversary, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the humanities. Details at utahhumanities.org. Pianist Jade Simmons, what does it mean to stay fiery? (laughs) It means that as soon as you get artistically comfortable, you're supposed to light a fire under your musical tush and try something new. Innovative pianist Jade Simmons talks about her favorite fiery music on the next Performance Today from APM. Thursday night at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Jamie Bianchini. His book is a very interesting memoir, A Bicycle Built for Two Billion. It recounts his 81-country, eight-year journey on a tandem bicycle around the world, giving complete strangers uh, rides, trying to put peace out into to the world. Uh, peace Peddlers was the name of uh, they came up with, he and his friend Garrick. Uh, many adventures... And it was life-changing for Jamie Bianchini. He's now on a book tour with his family uh, on bicycle and RV. They're uh, going around the country, and they're in Utah right now. Uh, You can reach us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Jimmy Bianchini, as we'll learn, ends up uh, setting up some charities, uh, really uh, making a difference in, in some areas. Um, I, I wonder, you're setting out on this on this tour, and, and I, I could, if I'm setting out on, on a tour like this, I, I'm probably wondering if I'm going to be safe. That's, <laughs> that's the first thing. It ended up, uh, you, you had a lot of very kind people. D- did you have those worries setting out? Uh yeah, I mean, there were some worries and there were some concerns. Where there were most of those were from my from my family and uh, my my parents and my brothers and sister. But uh, for us, you know, we we did a lot of research to 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 study things like health and sanitation and and diseases and things like that. Took care of our shots and immunizations, and uh, that's probably the first step to do. Um, but there, there 
deep inside, we both had a you know a, a trust and faith that everything was going to be okay, and that if we did run in any, into any any troubles, that we would, that we'd be taken care of by the by the communities that we were traveling through. So let let me uh, have you recount um, first uh, some of the high adventure. So near death bike crash in Malaysia. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a big doozy. Um, I, I came back to the United States uh, after our first ten countries and one year of traveling through Asia. And uh, but when I came back on the ride, Garrick had my riding partner was mountain biking in Malaysia and hit, was going very fast and hit a hit a hardwood tree and shattered his elbow uh, and wrist and punctured a lung and an internal bleeding and barely made him himself to the hospital in time. So he got knocked out of the ride for a short term and ended up leaving the ride long term because an insurance, he didn't have proper insurance and the the, uh, the the surgeries and reconstructive surgeries and everything he had to go through ended up wiping out all of his riding funds and so forth. So that was a very, very devastating blow to the expedition uh, and a big turning point for me to decide if I was ready to go off into Africa and the rest of the world by myself, piloting a tandem by myself and inviting strange African men to go from South Africa through 22 countries up to Morocco. So there are a lot of times that my faith uh, was uh, was definitely tested, and I had to had to dig deep uh, to, to 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 get my courage up to get back on the bike by myself. Mm. And you had to escape machine gun fire in in Mauritania. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was another. That was probably the, the scariest moment uh, of, of the entire tour. I was in Mauritania, which is a, a country uh, north of Senegal and south of, of Morocco, and uh, it's been a bit of a hot spot, um, hot spot for, for for terrorists and terrorism and 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 some of the groups out there. The, that was an area where the Dakar rally used to go down through that, and they've recently canceled it. So they've had some issues there. Uh, and uh, but, but I trusted everything would be fine, and everything was going just fine until uh, I heard a bunch of machine gun fire and bombs going off, and I was hidden, hidden in a in a in a Moroccan fruit truck, uh, be under some blankets to get me through the area, and and everyone assured me we'd be fine, but it was it was scary. I've never heard a rapid machine gun fire or bombs going mm-hmm. off, and that was those, those are scary sounds to hear. Uh, luckily, I made it out. I made it out just fine. Mm-hmm. Now you say you used to be pretty selfish and self-centered, not the only one. Uh, <laughs> but you say a constant stream of kindness and compassion demonstrated by total strangers on your journey began to soften you as a person. Tell me about that that journey. Yeah, uh, you know the the world uh, this world tour ended up becoming a bit of a a bit of a kind of laboratory, so to speak, of me trying on uh, and and almost heading out into the world with different ways of being and 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 uh and and learning so much and really just with an openness to learn and to grow as a person before I before I finally settled back down and decided to you know be a father and a full-time member of society I I felt like the that the, the values I learned growing up were not the best values and they ended up driving me to be a bit more selfish self-centered and and egotistical and things like that that were they they, they were just that those weren't working for me and so going out in the world I was able to, to to try different things, and it seemed like all the all, all of my biggest problems that I had in life, all the the biggest downs downfalls, were all when I was, what was being too selfish and putting myself first, and 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 so forth. So, um, so yeah, and then and then when I when I saw all that all that compassion uh, and generosity and love from total strangers towards me, um, it just softened me little by little, and 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 very very naturally and very authentically, I started to reach out and. And find a, a different side of me 
that said, well, what if I used all these skills and, and business skills that I have and all this drive I have and this ability to manifest and put people together and make, make things happen and made, instead of just making things happen for me, made, made, made things happen for communities uh, that, that need it most. So that's where a lot of these projects started that, that, uh, that were really meaningful uh, for, for communities. Like I picked, up a, I picked up a person in Uganda named Innocent who was on his way home from school and, and we ended up getting uh, uh, going out on a longer bike ride together and he shared his dream to start a school for, for AIDS orphans and the needy in his community um, because a lot of people who, who, a lot of kids whose parents die they, of, of AIDS aren't able to ever get an education. So I didn't know how to start a school, but I had a passion to help him as a friend. And uh, well, little by little, I just guided him using the skills that I had in business and organization and operations to help him create and live his dream to, to start the school, which is now up today and still going called Good Hope School. And it's got over 175 students and been up for, you know, over five years now. And and is self-sustaining. So we did that. I ended up doing projects like that, whether it be bringing water to a community or delivering malaria medications out or bringing bikes to to uh, to, to to a community in need. Um, different projects like that. While I was riding, I was able to put my passion for cycling and travel and blend it with a passion for contribution and service, and and create some really neat things uh, while while doing what I really loved. So that that was a change in focus, wasn't it? it you were it was peace peddlers. You're going to spread peace in the world, but uh, then you, I guess, saw some concrete needs and started meeting those. At a point, uh, it looks like when your heart was ready to do that. Yeah, that's it, and that's that's the beauty of a of a big journey like this. It's like I, I was open to growing. I was open to to, to, to seeing. Where what my what my purpose was and and what was what was possible for me and and the gifts I've been given in life and uh, you know I, I I feel very blessed and that I was that was I was given some amazing gifts from God and uh, and I was and it was time for me to find a home for those um, out on the bike and and I was able to so uh, like I said it was I didn't plan on that happening uh, it's just the, the you know just the way the inspiration came as I went uh, as I went around the world. So tell me, let me back up just a little bit. Tell me about the your tandem bike, how it actually worked, and it, it must must have been loaded down with a lot of gear and such. What, what was the physical part of the journey like? Uh, yeah, the, the, it was a self self supported journey, so there was no vehicles uh, following me. I had everything that I needed on the bike, and so I had all my tents and sleeping bag. I, I, I carried two two sleeping mats, so if I picked up someone, they would have their own sleeping bag. They would have their own that they had their own helmet and their own gear uh, I also ended up carrying a lot of camera equipment because I started doing a bit of filming I was very inspired when I was in Africa to share these connections and kind of dispel the myth that Africa was a you know scary continent that you wanted to avoid I wanted to try to to, to change that so I ended up bringing a bunch of uh, video equipment got sponsored by Panasonic and and uh, so by the time it was done I had the tandem plus I had a trailer that was my production trailer behind me so I mean the bike ended up weighing at one point as much as 250 pounds, uh, just the bike and the gear, um, not including myself. So um, so it was a heavy load, and so you know it became almost necessary to look for strong legs and people to help me uh, to uh, keep the bike moving at a reasonable pace. So uh, and um, but I didn't bring any cookware. I didn't bring stove. I didn't bring any kind of cooking stuff because I wanted to kind of force myself not to. To, uh, to hide away and make my own food. I wanted to, to kind of force myself to get out into the people's villages and see where people eat, how they eat, how they shop, how they cook, 
And uh, so that was a that was a, a decision that I made from a touring perspective of how I wanted to tour on the bike. If you just joined us, so you're listening to Access U Time, Tom Williams. We're talking with Jamie Bianchini. At a low point in his life, he'd uh, had a bankruptcy. His uh, girlfriend left him. Uh, just at a low point, depressed. He decided. Um, well, he came up with an audacious plan. I'm going to bike around the world. He ended up uh, hitting 81 countries over eight years. I'm going to take a tandem bike, he said. I'm going to ride solo, and I'm going to invite total strangers to share the journey with me. And the result is a very interesting memoir, A Bicycle Built for Two Billion. Jamie Bianchini is uh, on tour now with his family, his wife and two children, on bike, very properly. And uh, he's in Utah right now. He did an event uh, a couple of days ago with the King's English uh, Bookshop. Uh, by the way, you can uh, go to his uh, website, um, to, to find out more, um, about the journey. Um, and, and the website, I believe it's a bicycle built for 2 billion. Is that the website? Is it? Is that a, a bicycle built for 2 billion, uh, dot com is the website and that's okay. where there's information on getting the book All right. uh, as well. I uh, had it uh, up uh, earlier, but I, I didn't right now. So bicycle built for 2 billion, uh, dot com. Um, I wonder, uh, Jimmy Bianchini, tell me about, the reaction you got from people, um, you, I'm picturing this uh, kind of a strange, you know, strange American rides up on a tandem bike, a bunch of gear, and says, uh, "Hey, you want to lift?" What? Uh, how did you approach people? Uh, it really, it really depended. You know, there was a lot of places I wandered in the world, but if there was a big language barrier, uh, which happened often. Um, then there, there wasn't so much, so much word spoken as much as pointing to the seat, giving some thumbs up, and uh, smiling, and and kind of just having a real um, optimistic, childlike spirit, like you would play, you know, meet a kid in a playground when you're young. I mean, there wasn't a lot of words needed to be spoken then either. Uh, you just kind of came with that spirit of play, and that was really the strategy all along of how to pick people up when there was a language barrier, uh, was just to to point at the seat and have a real. Um, kind of assumptive clothes, so to speak, of, of, you know, let's get on the bike, you're getting on the bike, let's go. Um, and that came out of this this optimism and, and exp- the amount of experiences I had looking in the rear view mirror of my bike as I would point it at people's faces and see how much joy a bike ride with a stranger was bringing them. Uh, the, this sense of adventure and, and the adventure of human connection, I ended up calling it, was like, you know, people have a lot of fear. I think, you know, we have a lot of fear here in the West, especially we're told to stop talking to strangers at a young age and to get serious and stop messing around and all these things. And little by little, we layer fears on through various, uh, various things we we pick up from society and the media and, and school and, and social groups that slowly, you know, kind of build walls up and, and the, some, something about the tandem bike just kind of immediately broke those down and gave the other person the, uh, the opportunity to, to, to let that explorer and curious kid that's inside them come out. Uh, and uh, and it was a, we were able to, to, I was able to create friendships even when no words could be spoken. There's something about just pedaling and sweating and giggling and laughing and putting our hands, mm-hmm. holding a hand with someone and reaching back when they're riding and just holding their hand and shaking their hand and uh, so it was, it was, a, it was a beautiful thing. I mean, oftentimes I would get off the bike with a, a total stranger who rode with me for an hour or two and give them a couple bucks for their bus and, and give them a huge hug and see that they were crying because it was, it made their day. It, it was a beautiful experience for them. And it was for me too. And that happened over and over again. And you found this reaction all around the world. It, it didn't matter culture. This was, you, you found people that really enjoyed this and 
were yeah, open definitely. to? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, the way I approached it was different based on the continents. I mean, when I came in from Africa up into Europe, I couldn't just knock on some person's door. I came to find out. I couldn't just knock on someone's door and say, hey, I want to come inside your house and meet your kids and, and play with your wife. You know, and they, I, I, There was a different way you had to, to, to approach it, right? Because uh, in, in, in Europe, for example, they're, they're exposed to a lot of the bad news. And, and, and uh, this is my, my philosophy, at least. And, and so they didn't know who I was. I was a stranger coming on a huge bike, unshaven, a little bit stinky. Uh, and my bike was really beat up coming in from Africa. And, and uh, so they, you know, before people would let me in, let me pitch my tent in their front yard, let me cook, let me go you know, take their kids down to the market and go, go shopping for ingredients and come back and cook together inside their house. Well, that didn't happen randomly and serendipitously in Europe as much as I would have wanted it to. So in Europe, I had to actually plan it more. I had to let people know in advance I was coming, give them the opportunity to research who I was on my website and know that I wasn't an axe murderer or a rapist and I was a good guy. I used intercultural exchange websites like couchsurfing.org to be able to uh, find like-minded people who are open to intercultural exchanges uh, and were open to having strangers in their house. So it was different, uh, and because people are busy in the in the in the developed world, right? They they don't just take off randomly. They're on the way to work. They're on the keep bringing kids to school. So that serendipitousness had to change uh, in the West uh, a bit more than it was uh, when I was uh, down down in Africa or in South America or Central America. Now the the picture you paint in the in the book, which is a true picture, of course, this is your experience, is very optimistic. A lot of people really were open to you. You had great experiences with, with, uh, with people. A lot of fun. A lot of sense of play. Um, a lot of good people, which you could contrast with. You know, turn on the evening news, and uh, and that's also reality. A lot of bad in the world as well. I wonder how you, how you reconcile the two. I think we're very much attracted to the experience you had. Uh, and want want more of that in our lives, but but we also maybe need some of those protective layers that you were talking about. Maybe trying to peel off. How do you? How to navigate? Sure. I mean, I, I think I think uh, as a society, as individuals, and as a society, we need to be conscious of the collective fear that's growing because of the media and 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 because now with now smartphones and Facebook and all everything moves fast. Right, so bad news in the far corners of the. I'm looking at the the blast in China, or you know, it could be in the furthest corner in the world, but it's brought right into your nose as if it's in your backyard. And the, before that wasn't so available, right? There's always been bad things happening in the world. There's always been people murdering and people hurting and people people that were uh, you know having a slip of consciousness and, be, and 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 doing bad things. But now with the media, it makes it seem like that it happened. It's all happening and getting worse and magnifying and intensifying and it's getting closer and if people aren't conscious it's going to build fear and it's going to build wall it's going to make these walls grow up in front of us and uh and so the world isn't in any worse place that it was before in my opinion uh it's actually i would think even possibly getting better but uh but you know it's just that we have to be aware of 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 the of how that intense amount of media and how fast it moves yeah, it can't can affect that and 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 give us and taint uh, the the vision of humanity that is uh, that may not be actually true. 
so my experience of humankind, of human beings, is that you know we are part of the human race, all right? That's one thing we have in common with all human beings, is that we're all human beings. We're part of the same big old tribe of being human. We all have a lot of the same needs and desires. If you ask everyone what's important to them, they're all going to say how important family is, and uh, they all have their same desires of their egos and things like that that all work together. And uh, but it, but in there is is, is compassion and, and love and and if you see the average person who sees someone who has, who's having trouble or or needs something, you'll see human beings as part of their nature help people. That's just part of our primal nature that I experienced out in the road, and I think most people, if you think about it, that is the case. Um, so so yeah, that's that, that's probably my what, what I took out of the whole thing is mm-hmm. just I, I I found people to be incredible in every corner of the world. And that far, far more people are are good and honest and compassionate and loving than there are mean and dangerous. Uh, So it's time for people to go and see the world with their own two eyes and not just what they see on the media and and, and let that stop them. Uh, Should we stay away from media or just consciously, as you're saying, counteract that in our minds? What uh, how best to stop that from jaundicing us? Yeah, I think being aware, you know, I, I think consciousness is more important than just avoiding it. Uh, but but I think turning it, mellowing it out, in my opinion, um, I try to I try to mellow it out as much as I can. Uh, and, and and but but I know a lot of people like to be informed, but it's a matter of of, of being informed consciously and being aware uh, of uh, of where those streams are and being aware of the tendency of media to 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 lean toward the bad news um, and lean toward the worst side. Because those seem to be the stories that people seem to seem to gravitate towards wanting to read. I don't know why, but that's just the way human beings are. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to to uh, sort of uh, close this theme, um, it's reading a, an interview you gave on your website. By the way, it's uh, bicyclebuiltfor2billion.com, which is the name of the book as well. Uh, and we're talking with Jamie Bianchini. Uh, so you're talking about your twelve thousand mile book tour around the country that you're in the midst of. Uh, you say we're, we're going to take the spirit of the Peace Peddlers expedition on the book tour, driving an eight-seater SUV, pulling a travel trailer that sleeps 10. If we meet an interesting person or even a family on the tour, they can join us in the same spirit of trust, openness, and connection. What better way to show our four- and two-year-olds some great values at a young age? Many parents are starting to tell their kids, don't talk to strangers by this age. We think that lesson is what's breaking down our local and global communities. And so when I read that, I thought, that's wonderful. But on the other hand, <laughs> you know, some parents' heads are going to explode uh, to, to tell them not to tell them not to talk to strangers. So, again, I wonder how you, how you reconcile. Of course, you want to protect your kids and you're going to be careful, but you also want them to be open to the world, too. Sure. I mean, there's definitely. I mean, I'm definitely going to teach them the same language uh, lessons uh, as it relates to you. Know, they're walking up from school, and a strange person comes and talks to them. Don't talk to that person, and come back and talk to mom. I mean, there's certain there's certain lessons that 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 you want to um, that you want to uh, instill in your kids from a safety perspective, because uh, because you know bad things do happen, and uh, and uh, so you got to kind of. Pre- got to prepare them for the worst on that regard 
But uh, in the way of living in fear as a parent, I think a lot of parents are living in fear constantly because, again, we're bombarded with these very worst stories you hear of a rape that happened uh, way out in Arkansas. And, uh, but, but it gets played over and over and over again, and then the case goes on, and then you're inside the, the, law, you're inside the courtroom with that case, and then the, the latest developments of, of, from the doctors, and they just keep playing it over and over again, so it makes it seem like it's happening everywhere all the time when uh, those are really rare cases that happen out there. And uh, so if we, if, if, if this is just my opinion, again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that I, that I know a lot of parents that literally just keep their kids almost in, 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 in blankets and don't and smother them with fear. Uh, and, uh, and so that's just not our strategy. We, you know, my, my, my wife and I have traveled enough to know that human, human beings for the most part are very good people. And uh, our kids out that are out right now, we have had people come and stay with us, and people that we barely even know have come and 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 travel with us, and uh, and they've been able to, to to meet amazing people, and they they'll meet someone just for a short time and give them big hugs and kisses goodbye, and that warmth and that that warmth that, that's just kind of the way that that uh, that we're raising our kids, but not necessarily right, of course. Mm. Uh, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'll ask Jamie Bianchini to tell me about some of the people he encountered, some some specific uh, stories of uh, some of these people who shared the journey with him. Uh, we also have an email from Brenda in Washington County that we'll get to as well. You can join this conversation. Hope that you will. Maybe you have a story. Your question or comment can be sent to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And we have our toll-free number open, 1-800-826-1495. Jamie Bianchini uh, took an 81-country, eight-year tour around the world on his tandem bicycle, inviting complete strangers to join the journey with him. The result is a book, a bicycle built for $2 billion. More following the break. Support for the Utah StoryCorps project is made possible in part by our members and the Utah State University Alumni Association, maintaining connections through programs and facilities like the Swainer Eco Center in Park City, where visitors can experience the natural world and take part in numerous earth-friendly activities. Hey, I'm Candy Palmiter. Women's body hair has long been a site for political statements. Next time on Q, we look at the new trend among women of growing out their armpit hair and dyeing it vibrant colors for feminism and for fun. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. Thursday afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The book is A Bicycle Built for Two Billion. The author is Jamie Bianchini. He and his family are on a book tour around uh, the United States. Properly, they're on bicycle. And uh, he's in Utah right now. He gave a presentation at the King's English Bookshop a couple of nights ago. And he'll be heading out uh, to other states up to, I guess, what would you say, Jamie Bianchini, Montana next? Yeah, we're heading up. We're heading up to Wyoming. Uh, I'm going into Yellowstone and Tetons just for a little holiday for my son's uh, fifth birthday, and then up into uh, Montana and over to Spokane and uh, Seattle, Portland, down to, down south to California. Oh, very very good. Um, and meeting a lot of great people, I'm sure, across the across the U.S. Um, you can join the conversation here at one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. Or upraxcess at gmail.com is our uh, email. Jamie Bianchini, at a low point in his life, came up with an audacious plan. He's going to bike around the world. He ended up biking around 81 countries, 
um, on a tandem bicycle, riding solo, inviting complete strangers to, to ride with him. The result is a bicycle built for $2 billion. That's the name of the book and the website. Uh, here is uh, an email from Brenda in Washington County. Listening to Jamie Bianchini, thinking of all these stories would make an amazing documentary. What are his plans for his slideshow following this tour? Is there more on the horizon? Maybe another bike tour with an adjacent Netflix documentary? I always love a good pursuit of happiness story. That's Brenda. What What are the plans? Um, I'm actually definitely open to some collaboration on that. Uh, I shot 950 hours of footage. And the book was one of the the, the, the kind of next steps of, of finding a way to hone through that footage and find the core stories. Uh, and so a documentary is definitely on the docket, uh, but it's something that I'm not prepared to do by myself, and I'm, I really want to collaborate with some people. So if anyone's listening to this today and and uh, and, and, and loves the, the art of documentary filmmaking or, or even feature filmmaking, um, I'm, I'm very much open to... Uh, to collaboration uh, on in, in that front there I've got I've got two kids and potentially a third on the way so um, I'm, I'm not don't see myself going down to leading um, a film effort by myself but uh, but but definitely see that uh, in the cards and have some exceptional video content that's already we can work with that's been shot all around the world it's in the can and it's edited it's it's uh it's sitting on timelines and it's it's literally ready for somebody creative to come and help me script it and, and get it ready to go there's some video out there. I was watching the book trailer, for example, on, on the website, uh, uh, Bicycle Bill for $2 billion. I'd like to have you uh, tell me about some specific people. Maybe we can start with uh, a little more about Innocent. There's a very moving uh, passage of video in, in the trailer. Um, you're with Innocent. He's riding in the seat behind you. Uh, I guess uh, riding makes it sound like he's not pedaling. He's pedaling with you. Um it's in the twilight, or at least is kind of you pass through uh, uh, some sh- some shade. Kind of adds to the mood of this, and he's telling you about his dreams. This you know a complete stranger up to that point. He, as you said before, he's he's telling you his dreams of of uh, you know opening this school. Tell me a little bit more about Innocent. Uh, Innocent was a very timid guy. I mean, he was he's very. Um very quiet, soft-spoken when I first met him, uh, and he had never been on a bike before, so uh, so he was really excited to try and see what it felt like, and it was it was a gorgeous story because, uh, you know, I, I was only going to take him a little bit to his house, and then I was going to head out to go look for a camping spot, and, but the weather changed really fast, uh, and he looked at me, this big lightning bolt shot down, and big bolt, big burst of thunder, and torrents of rain came and he said look you have to come to my house now you can't ride in this and I said okay and his parents took it took me in and uh and that night we were we were in his in his bedroom he had two he had two beds and we were sitting side by side and I asked him if he wanted to come with me the next day and he was so excited he couldn't even sleep that night and and uh you know we ended up doing a, a I think it was about 50 miles uh, or so but it was just steep up steep down steep up steep down really rocky we got a bunch of rain we fell we crashed it ended up being over 12 hours on the bike pedaling with this guy just to get over all these passes, and we but we had so much time to bond, and and he got strong somehow. He got stronger and stronger as we as as we as we rode and uh, and um, you know and he shared with that dream with me as I as I said he said I, you know I have a dream to and I he said he could see it in his head he said I can see it I I can't stop thinking about it. I really want to help the people in the community, and I could tell in his voice that he was sincere. So, um, so it was just a, you know, we I, I had to keep riding forward, 
but I but I gave him the step by steps to do it. And I gave him a couple of dollars to open an email account and to to send me a a, fo- a drawing of what he envisioned the school would look like and a one page summary of what he envisioned it would look like and. And I just gave him step by step. I told him to find a board of directors. I told him to find land that was donated and building materials donated. I didn't give him a red penny until he had the school already up and actually already had a structure going. But I did give him the support in the way of daily contact via email and 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 always always every time I could 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 just dropping him quick emails and quick phone calls to believe in him because he was my friend. And uh, and he had a dream that I that I knew need, needed to be realized. So so and and still still to this to, to this day I have him on my phone and we use WhatsApp, uh, which is a cool application to communicate overseas. And we we talk just about every day. And so we're very involved. He named his son Jamie after me, and mm. uh, went out there and saw that his baptism and and uh, so we're very close. And that again that was a friendship that just started as strangers on the road. Yeah, that's an amazing what can happen. Uh, we just have about three or four minutes left, and I, I, I want to not end without telling, <laughs> having you tell the Hollywood ending. Uh, this, you know, if, if this ever gets made into Hollywood film, this is going to be prominent. <laughs> you, you met your wife out there yeah, on, on the road. How did, how did that, that happen? That was definitely the highlight of the trip. I mean, I, w- I was single the whole time, and I was having a great time being a single guy out there. There's no doubt about that, but. I, I definitely wanted love in my life, and, and I knew that was my next adventure, being a father. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but um, I picked up a, a, a backpacker who happened to be from Barcelona, and she was backpacking by herself through um, through Brazil and Argentina, and she came on for a she accepted the invitation to ride uh, 18 kilometers to take a picture, take pictures of some Jesuit ruins down there in northern uh, Argentina. And then by the time she got off the bike, was ready to get off the bike, uh, neither of us wanted to say goodbye. We were just having a really good time. There was a really strong connection. So she came to the next town and came over the border to um, to Paraguay together. And then from there, we still didn't want to say goodbye. So her 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 18 kilometer ride turned into 19 days. Uh, living in a small little day pack that she had only planned to to to, to do a short little journey in, and uh, we ended up uh, carrying on, finding her own bike, and and uh, she got her own bike and rode from Chile to Colombia uh, together through four countries, and we um, we ended up we ended up conceiving our first child out on the ride, and and uh, and and eventually coming together, and uh, taking our son, our our, our two month old son, on his first expedition. Uh, uh, down the coast of California. So now we're married and have two kids, and we're out on the on the road together. Yeah, that's it's just wonderful. You you know you'd you'd be accused of hyperbole if you were to write this in fiction and you know just make this up. But it, <laughs> it, it happened to you. Uh, just a couple of minutes yeah. left. I wonder you you have a I don't know. It's kind of a slogan. You say it's possible to both live big and give big at the same time. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you mean by that? That was what that was one of the biggest things I took away from it uh, was that uh, it is possible to go after and get everything that we need in our lives, right? You know, take care of our families, save for college, do our have our have our have our, our houses and our, everything we like, which is live big, right? It's, it's possible to live big and give big, get everything we want, live our dreams, but also at the same time, it's possible to give big. It's possible to to use our gifts and our passions. Uh, to make a difference in the world without taking away from the live big. Um, and so it's just a matter of keeping that intention and keeping an intention of service uh, that, that we can do both. And that was what I was trying to inspire people to do uh, by, uh, by, by riding my bike around the world and doing all these projects. Hmm. Tell me about, uh, about your charities, ongoing charities, and how can people help? 
Um, I, I don't have a 501c3. I never really did any of that. Um, pr- pretty much the only ongoing project right now is Good Hope School, mm-hmm. and anybody can find information on that online by just uh, going to a bicycle built for two billion dot com. Email me; I can send a bunch of information on the school. Uh, and uh, GoodHopeSchool dot org uh, is uh, is up on the internet to take a picture take a picture of what we're doing on that. Uh, but I'm very approachable. Um, research my name, Jamie Bianchini, a bicycle built for two billion, or Peace Peddlers. And I'm very easy to find, uh, and I answer emails, and I can put people in contact and give people the opportunity to go out to the school. Uh, that's the only one where I'm still really working on. Everyone, the other ones were kind of one-hit projects from the from bringing water to the communities or or delivering mar- malaria medication. They were kind of just ways for me to do things while I was traveling that I'm not really that involved with anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, who's coming out to the events? Is it? I, I imagine it'd be bicyclists. You know. Um the biking community, but uh, this this is broader than that as well. It's yeah, it's a, it's a, it's all over the board. I mean, all different ages, from younger people to parents with their kids to the people in retirement. To I mean, there's there's it's really amazing that the cross section of people that come to the events is there. There, it's it's fantastic to see. Uh, because it's a, again, it's a story that 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 anybody can relate with, and the book isn't just for cyclists and travelers. It's a it's a book for anyone, and that's the way we wrote it, me and my editor, because we wanted to make it a memoir that anybody can relate with, because we all have human issues uh, and things that we deal with, and uh, and so it's just really the a lot of those common 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 uh, common um, challenges. And, and I've been learning, but with the back, uh, exciting backdrop of of the world and and its people. Well, it's an amazing adventure, a, a, a good read. Uh, Bicycle Built for Two Billion is the name of the book and the website. And uh, Jamie Bianchini is on tour around uh, the U.S. right now, is uh, in Utah. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. A pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We uh, premiere a new program in the uh, Friday 9 a.m. slot. It's a program from the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, it's a news roundup featuring Tribune reporters. It's called Behind the Headlines. That's tomorrow at this time. Hope you'll join us then. Thanks for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Featuring Dracula in addition to seminars, tours, and more as part of the festival experience. Information at bard.org. And Square One Printing. 630 West, 200 North, Logan, personalized printing for home, school, or business, including banners, business cards, and letterhead. Information at squareoneprinting.com. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Van Frank. This week, learn about William Rischel, whose 100-mile summer bike ride across the Great Salt Lake Desert almost ended in disaster. First this. I'm Cynthia Buckingham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T.D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. In 1896, to promote his growing chain of national newspapers, publisher William Randolph Hearst cooked up a wildly extravagant plan to sponsor a transcontinental bicycle relay. Knowing the scheme would require local people to scout the best route, he recruited bike enthusiast William Rischel to investigate the Nevada to Wyoming leg of the coast-to-coast course. 
On his way from Salt Lake to California, Ruschel swung north of the Great Salt Lake, but quickly concluded that the northern route was too long to work for the relay. Scrapping that course, he instead decided to follow, at least roughly, the old Hastings cutoff that many overland pioneers had followed to the west coast. This southern trail would cut miles off the relay and hopefully speed the cyclists on their way east from California. Rischel arranged to have himself and his friend Charlie Amis dropped off at Terrace, Utah, a railroad town in central Box Elder County. With a few sandwiches, a questionable map from an old prospector, and four canteens between them, the two men set out on a southwesterly course toward Grantsville. At first, the going was easy over encrusted salt, but soon Rischel and Amis found themselves bogged down in the desert's infamous mudflats. Then their water ran out. But by alternating between carrying and riding their bikes, the two men finally found the tiny spring on the lakeside mountains that had been marked on the prospector's map. Evening fell as they rested at the spring, encouraging them on to their destination with its cooler air. Added encouragement was a view of the lights of the old salt air pavilion. At about midnight, aching and thirsty, Rischel and Amis finally pedaled their way down Grantsville's main street. A few weeks later, heavy rains forced a reluctant Rischel to scrap the southern course he had just traversed and reroute Hearst's relay around the Great Salt Lake's northern end. Sources and past episodes of the Beehive Archive may be found at utahhumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of the Utah Humanities Council, I'm Megan Van Frank. What is a subject that you are passionate about? What do you know more about than most? Utah Public Radio wants you to share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a new collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create more in-depth stories on the things that you care about or more meaningful discussion on our flagship program, Access Utah. Become a source today. Join UPIN. For more information, visit us online at upr.org. One might expect to find a retail executive in the front row of a fashion show. As part of a captive audience on a tour bus, though, not so much. Think of us as storytellers slash translators slash guides. I'm Kai Rizdal, special tour guides, trying to keep retailers relevant. That's next time on Marketplace. We'll have the numbers from Wall Street as well. It's all from 8 p.m. Thursday night at 6.30 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.